Hey, are you here? Okay, everyone's here. It's the Paul Leslie Hour, and you are welcome here. This is an interview from the archives with songwriter David Martin, known for being part of the songwriting group of Arnold Martin and Morrow. Now, David Martin lives and breathes the songs. Chances are you've heard something David Martin wrote. His songs have sold over 26 million records around the world, but all stories have a beginning. For the British singer-songwriter, David Martin began his career as a member of the group Butterscotch on RCA Records. Soon after, he formed a songwriting partnership with Chris Arnold and Jeff Morrow. The partnership resulted in the composition of many songs recorded by the true legends of recorded music, including Cliff Richard, Wayne Newton, Dusty Springfield, Cilla Black, Mama Cass. The legendary Elvis Presley recorded four of their songs, Let's Be Friends, A Little Bit of Green, Sweet Angeline, and This Is The Story. Quick side note, how many of you are planning on seeing the new movie simply entitled Elvis, releasing on June 24th. Oh, we can't wait. Now, one of the songs David Martin wrote has brought many smiles to the world. Can't Smile Without You would become a pop standard and worldwide hit after being recorded by Barry Manilow. Manilow wasn't the first nor the last artist to record the song. The Carpenters, Engelbert Humperdinck, Vic Damone, Andy Williams, Gino Cunico, and others would perform and record their own versions. The song's been performed countless times in concert and has been featured in motion pictures. The song earned Martin three BMI awards for over three million airplays. So although David Martin continues to write songs, he's still very much a singer. He has a great admiration for the great songwriters of the American Songbook, those lyricists and composers who wrote the standards, Cole Porter, Irving Berlin, Harold Arlen, Johnny Mercer, and Sammy Kahn. It is his love for these American classics that resulted in his album, Silky Smooth Moments. Accompanied by the Terry Coffee Trio, David Martin sings standards like I'll Be Seeing You and In the Wee Small Hours of the Morning and one written by David Martin himself. It's a beautiful gesture from David Martin. Although he's accomplished so much with his own songs, he pays tribute to the great songwriters who came before him. We invite you into the world and passion of songwriter David Martin, where songs with great messages never die. They endure. If you get a moment, perhaps you'll help us out. We want to endure, too. Just visit www.thepaulleslie.com slash support, and we thank you. Now, our interview with a lovely man, music's own David Martin. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my great pleasure to welcome this man. He's a singer, songwriter. His name is David Martin. He has a brand new album, Silky Smooth Moments. Welcome. Thank you, Paul, and thank you for inviting me to be part of your show. I'm really looking forward to speaking with you. The pleasure is all ours. I think most stories are best from the beginning. What was life like growing up? Well, you know, it's pretty tough. Happy, very happy. I had a, thank God, a, a very happy home life with my parents. We lived, my, the, the best years I can remember were in West London, where uh, in a little place called Hammersmith, which is a pretty throbbing, throbbing place these days. 
And it was a happy time, really. I was an only child, strange as it may seem, and a lot of time in those days was spent playing on the street, which is kind of different to how it is now, because nowadays people don't let their children go out on the streets, understandably. But it was happy, and we had fun, and, you know, I was a kind of a, a young sporty. I did a lot of sport as a young kid, and my school days were great. So uh, I'd have to say, didn't have lots of money, but in those days, you know, it didn't matter. And in fact, in these days, it doesn't matter, really, because money is just a thing, isn't it, really? Yeah, I think I'd have to say I had a, a fundamental happy home life and it was a good good start for me to venture into the big wide world. Was it a very musical household? My father was very, very musical. Well, I think it's a 50-50 situation. My father had an amazing operatic voice, although by trade, funny enough, a bit like Perry Como. He was a hairdresser by trade and he, he never ever took his singing seriously, but he had a great powerful strong voice and on my, my father's side he had a, a great aunt who had two children and one of them was a, a, a lady called May and he remembers vividly as, as when he was a child that they, they would spend weekends, evenings, weekends with May sitting at the piano thumping out tunes and everybody singing away so I think it's my father's side where that musical strain came from. And when did you realize that you had a musical talent? I realized that, Paul, as long ago as, uh, as when I was seven years of age. I remember being in a playground with a friend at school, and we were walking, uh, just walking across the playground. And I was singing away, singing away something or other, and he said to me, oh, that's really nice. What song is that you're singing? And I said, I've no idea. I must have heard it on the radio. So I kind of listened out for a few days and didn't hear this song and realized that at the age of seven, I'd, I'd actually made a song up. That's when I realized I had that gift, really. And to be honest, I've been making songs up ever since. <laughs> <laughs> so you think the ability to write songs was something you were pretty much born with? Oh, I mean, there's no question of that. There, there is no question. It's always come very naturally to me. It's always been something that, uh, you know, you could say to me now, could you come up with a song called The Paul Leslie Show? And probably I'd, I'd do it on the spot. It's one of those things which it's always been there. It's, I, I kind of have, uh, I can wake up in the middle of the night with a whole melody going through my head or I can be in the car or whatever. And it just, it's just, it has always just been there. It took some years for me to develop it and hone it and in actual fact I mean jumping forward a bit when I was first signed as a, as a singer because I started out as a singer but I was signed to a record label called Pi Records and it was then when it really started properly because the, the record producer said to me you know we're going to go out and look for some material today and I went all around publishers with him and they played these songs most of which I thought were pretty boring and he just happened to say do you write yourself I said oh yeah sure you know kind of bluffing it really and I went home and wrote uh, a, a couple of songs and we put them on the recording session and that's really I think how it started out then I realized I had something which was approaching professional it's always been there what about the group Butterscotch? How did you come to be in that group? By that time, I had two writing partners, uh, Jeff Morrow and Chris Arnold, uh, Chris Arnold, Jeff Morrow, and we were known in the industry as Arnold, Martin and Morrow. And we were kind of uh, jobbing, working songwriters, writing away, trying to get artists to record our songs. In the middle of this wave of euphoric activity, a record came out which was number one in the USA, so I'm sure your listeners will know it, called Love Grows With My Rosemary Goes. And a pal of mine called Tony Burroughs was the lead singer on that record. 
It shot to number one in the UK, shot to number one in the USA. And the bizarre thing was that I started getting telephone calls from friends saying, oh, we've heard this fantastic single that you're, that you're singing on, David. How fantastic for you. I said, well, it is a great single, but it's not me singing. <laughs> it's, it's, actually, it's actually Tony Burrows, because we both have kind of a similar kind of sounding voice, I guess. But what that did was made me think, well, maybe we should do something like that. So Jeff, Chris, and I put our heads together, and we came up with this song, Don't You Know She Said Hello? And I did the vocal, and we decided to call it, uh, call the band Butterscotch. And it was a big hit in the UK. So that's how that happened. And so it was kind of triggered from one thing then to something else. And that's how that happened. Going back then, before that, you, you mentioned Chris Arnold and Jeff Morrow, the songwriters yeah. that you wrote so many songs with. What circumstance led you to meet them? You know, it's the old story, isn't it, Paul? We all lived in, at that time, I'd, I'd grown up and I'd, uh, I was engaged or about to be married. I can't remember what stage, but we all, I'd moved well away from West London and I was now living in North London and they were living in North London as well. So we, we knew each other socially and they were songwriters, Jeff and Chris, and I was a vocalist because I'd signed my deal, as I said just now, with Pi. So although we were great friends, it's one of those situations where they wrote songs and didn't really tell me much about what they were doing. And I was kind of trying to make my way as an artist. And so we were friends, but we weren't really involved together until one day Jeff called me up and said, look, we've got this song that we've written for Billy Fury. Do you remember Billy Fury, Paul? I have to be honest, I don't know that name. Well, Billy Fury was a massive artist in the UK, and I'm going around about the late, late 60s into the 70s. He was a really big, big artist over here, and he had a lot of big hits, Halfway to Paradise and all sorts of things. They had this song that, that they'd written for him, and, and, they, uh, and Jeff said to me, look, you know, would you be interested in demoing the song for us, doing a demo of the song? I said, yeah, I'd love to. So I went over to their place one evening where they used to work, and... They played me this song, which was called In Thoughts of You. And halfway through the song, or when the song ended, I said, yeah, I love the song. I'm happy to do it. I said, but I hope you don't mind me saying so. I think the middle section's a bit weak. And Jeff said, what do you mean, what's wrong with it? And Chris wasn't very happy with me making that comment at the time. <laughs> I said, well, I just think I just don't think it's really going anywhere. I think it needs to. Well, what would you do with it? Said Jeff. I said, well, okay, play it again. So play it again. I said, well, I think I would do this and suggested a couple of changes, which in fact they made. I did the demo. Billy Fury recorded it. It went top five in the UK. And then Jeff approached me and said, look, why don't we work together as a team? So I said, okay, fine. And that's how it started. Of the songs that the three of you wrote, could you pick a best interpretation of a song that you wrote? Do you know, that's a really good question. That's a really good question because the thing about writing songs, I mean, at the beginning, you're only too happy that anybody takes the trouble to record something you write. I mean, you're desperately trying to get your songs covered by anybody. You get over that stage after a while because sometimes what happens is you write a song and people record it. And when you hear it, Sometimes you get quite disappointed because you don't feel they've treated it in the way that you'd like them to have done. I think there are two answers to that question, if I may. One of them has to be the Presley version, Elvis Presley version of a song about us called This Is The Story. The reason why I say that is because we 
did a demo of the song. Obviously, it was aimed for him. And I tried to do, dare I say, my best Elvis Presley impression that I could, although I don't think I sounded anything like him. But I did a, a really, I tried to get the, the essence of it, if you like. And when we heard the recording, it was absolutely fantastic because it was exactly the way we demoed it and the phrasing and everything. I think that was one of the best. The other one was a song that, that Cliff Richard recorded of ours called So Long, which was a really beautiful recording and one of the best lyrics, I think, that Chris wrote because Chris in those days used to do most of the lyric and Jeff and I pretty much did the melodies in those days. Cliff did this song So Long, which sadly ended up on the B-side of a single, but I think we all felt should have been an A-side and would have been a very big hit in this country. So I would say those two songs stand out for me. The number of artists that have recorded all the songs that you guys wrote, you mentioned Elvis Presley, he recorded a few of those songs, but then yeah. you, you mentioned Cliff Richard. Has there been an artist that you had an emotional attachment to, that you were just over the moon that they recorded one of your songs? Well, I mean, you know, you'd have to say, again, there's a wonderful answer. We had a song called Who in the World that was recorded by Mama Cass, which was fabulous. And it always comes back every time, I suppose, to Can't Smile Without You with Barry Manilow, which is it's impossible not to be emotional about it. I mean, was a most fabulous recording. And I think even though there were, a num funny enough, a number of recordings before he did it, when he did it, I think he made it into the essential recording of that song. But it's a very good question, Paul, because you get very mixed emotions when artists record your songs. And I think the Mama Cass version of Who in the World was just gorgeous, really beautiful, beautiful recording. A second ago, you mentioned the song Can't Smile Without You. And yes. I suppose as a testament to what a great song it is, it's been recorded by Barry Manilow, The Carpenters, Engelbert Humperdinck, Vic Damone even recorded it, the late Andy Williams. Why do you think it is? Because people universally seem to love that song. Why do you think it's so beloved? It's a very good... <laughs> these questions are great questions because if we only knew, if one even had a clue, it's so difficult to understand what makes one song stand head and shoulders above another one. I mean, again, the story behind that song was a fascinating one because it was during the time of my marriage to a lady called Debbie and she had a, a, a greeting card shop in Hampstead in North London. I went to pick her up to take her home one night in Hampstead. We lived in a place called Harrow and when I arrived she gave me an envelope and in the envelope was a plain blue card with a small badge on it with a tear and I opened the, opened the card and it just said can't smile without you. I thought, wow, what a brilliant song title. So by the time we got to Harrow, which is about 30 minutes from, from Hampstead, to be honest, the song was written. And uh, I actually recorded it as the first recording of the song. And from that recording, all these other recordings were emanated. And our publisher at the time was an American guy. In America, we were with Dick James Music. And it was a guy called Arthur Braun in America. And he had great belief in the song. And he went running around with this song. And it was first when he went to see Clive Davis. Clive played it for Barry Manilow, who actually kind of passed on the song and they recorded it on Arista with a, a new up-and-coming guy called Gino Cunico. Of all oh, yes. Do you remember that? I have that vinyl album. Yes. You do. You do. Fantastic. And then, as you say, you know, hum Engelbert Humperdinck did it and this one did it. In the UK, a guy called Des O'Connor did it. And also, then suddenly the Carpenters recorded it. And it was one of these songs that kept on being picked up 
until, of course, Barry picked it up. Eventually, uh, Clive persuaded him to do it. And the rest, I guess, is history. But, you know, to answer the question, it's really difficult because when a song is written, as the writer of it, you have a feeling about it. You kind of like it or love it or whatever, but you have no way of knowing whether that song is going to end up being a world monster or not. It's, it's very difficult to understand. I think what it is, is that the message and the style and everything about it resonates so strongly with people. And perhaps they recognize their own situation in the song, which is what makes them make it their own. I remember going to the O2 a couple of years ago because Barry was over here at the O2 Arena, 25,000 people. When he just played the introduction, you know, and he whistled, <laughs> just whistles the introduction, plays down. The whole place, 25,000 people stood on their feet and sang the song from beginning to end with him all the way through. Now that was an emotional experience, I can assure you. <laughs> on that note, there's a picture on your website. Everyone can go to the website. It's davidmartinsingersongwriter.com. There's a picture of you and Mr. Manilow together. There is indeed, yeah. Well, there was an article recently where Barry Manilow was talking about that song. All these years later, he, since it was originally recorded, he was talking about his fondness for that song. I'm wondering what your personal experiences have been like with Mr. Manilow. He is really an absolute lovely, lovely, sweet man. Very, you know, what you see is what you get. And, and I've on and off been speaking to him for all these years. I mean, we're talking about 25 years, perhaps 20, where were we when he first recorded it? 70, wait a minute, he recorded it. In, it was a hit in America in 1976, I think. So we're talking 24, it, we're coming up to like 30, 39 years ago that he did this song. The last time I saw him was at the O2, as I think I mentioned. I said, Barry, I said, you know, we've been involved with this song for so long. He said, he said, David, he said, it's just like, it's kind of like yesterday. He said, may it carry on for another 30 odd years. You know, he said, he's a really lovely, lovely person, a very articulate very much involved in his in his career and concerned about how he comes across to the public in terms of his vocal and everything else and uh, he's very professional and a great guy with a beautiful voice which seems to do the trick wherever he goes our special guest is david martin i wanted to bring everybody up to the present you have this brand new album out it's entitled silky smooth moments right just to tell everybody a little bit about it most of the tracks, you have a song you wrote on there, but most of the tracks are the classics from the American Songbook. Yes. What is it about the American Songbook that made you want to record an album of standards? Well, obviously, like everything in my life, there's always a story behind it. It's just simply this. As I mentioned to you, Paul, when we first started talking, I began, I started out as a singer. I was never intending to become a songwriter, to be honest. I started out as a singer, and in the UK, I was traveling around doing little clubs and army bases, because in those days, we had a lot of army bases over here, entertaining US troops and stuff like that. And most of the songs that I did in those days were these kind of standard songs. And then lo and behold, about, I suppose, about two years ago now, 18 months, two years ago, I got a call from a friend of mine, a promoter friend of mine who put, puts on concerts and shows. And he said, David, he said, I don't know you'd be interested. He said, but I'm putting on an American songbook show. Would you be interested in taking part, uh, you know, as one of the artists in the show? So I said, well, why not? I'd love to. It'd be lovely to go back to all those beautiful songs again. So I did this show for him, which was called the... 
seasonal Great American Songbook because it was heading into the Christmas period. And the show ran for about five weeks in a small theatre called the New End Theatre in North London. And we got pretty good people turning out. And during the course of the show, which is really enjoyable, I got a lot of reviews from people and, and also uh, a, lot of, a lot of comments from all sorts of people. And in the reviews that I got, they were referring to me as the, uh, the honey-voiced David Martin. Listening to David Martin is like listening to confectionery, the silky tones, etc. And I thought, well, this is really lovely. And I pitched the songs pretty low in the show because I was singing with a girl called Sarah Parry who had a big, strong, kind of very big voice. And I thought it might be nice if I pitched all my songs really low. So having got all this reaction, I thought it might be a nice idea to go in the studio and see what the voice sounds like with these kind of songs in this low register. So that's how it all started, Paul, and I went in and recorded two or three songs. Everybody got so kind of excited. We got a, a little, little trio got trio together and we ended up actually recording about 16 songs of which ended up uh, there's about 11 on the album one of which is Silky Smooth Moments and that song came about because the engineer on the session kept saying God this sounds so silky smooth so we thought what a great idea to call it Silky Smooth Moments and then me as the songwriter couldn't resist in coming up with a song called Silky Smooth Moments the wonderful thing is that a lot of my peers over here in, in the industry who have heard it have said to me you know I think this is like a standard song waiting to happen so that you couldn't ask for more praise for a song than that so I'm pretty proud of it and actually pretty proud of the album too um, I think it's one of the nicest works I've done so that's the story behind it the song that you wrote, Silky Smooth Moment, was there a composer of yesteryear or a lyricist of yesteryear that you were using kind of as a benchmark or as someone not to copy, but as an inspiration kind of? I have to say that the direct answer to that is no. A bit like that kid of seven in the school playground, you know. The minute I decided that I would write a song called Silky Smooth Moments, obviously I wanted it to be in the same genre as the songs on the album, but something in my brain kind of clicks, and very, very quickly the song started to form and shape and, and came out as it was. So I wouldn't say that I was thinking about any particular songwriter or I was influenced in any way. I think the style of the songs written in that period by Irving Berlin, by Cole Porcher, etc., has made an imprint in my mind so that when I go into that songwriting mode, it comes out very much in that style. That's the best way I can answer it, Paul. You mentioned a second ago Cole Porter and Irving Berlin. What are your favorite composers and lyricists from that Tin Pan Alley era? I've got to say Irving Berlin, I've got to say Cole Porter, I've got to say Sammy Kahn, Johnny Mercer, fabulous, brilliant writers. And if you like, more latterly, Henry Mancini is a great writer. Harold Arlen, who wrote Somewhere of the Rainbow. I mean, these songs, frankly, absolutely on a strata, which is top top, top quality songs. I don't know if I, I went to uh, some years ago now, I think I'm probably going about, about 25, 30 years, but I went to a, a celebration dinner in London at big, one of the swanky hotels on Park Lane in London. And it was in celebration and, and tribute to the great writer Sammy Khan who wrote, as you know, all the way for Sinatra and uh, Second Time Around. And one of the tracks, I think, Teach Me Tonight on the album, he was a joint writer on. 
I arrived at the park late at the hotel, and as I walked into the reception area, where there must have been about at least 200 people, it was a bit like the parting of the waves. There was suddenly sort of like a, a, a parting of a space, and through the middle of this space, walking directly towards me, was Sammy Khan himself. Oh, wow. So I... You know, I thought, well, I'd better take the opportunity while I've got it. So as he walked towards, I think he might have been going to the, <laughs> to the gent's room, I don't know. But as he walked towards me, I sort of extended my hand and he, he took it. And I said, yeah, I just, Sammy, I just wanted to shake your hand and say um, thank you for the wonderful, wonderful pleasure that you've given me and millions of other people at the same time. And may you go on for many, 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 uh, many years. He said, well, David, he said, he said, what's your name? I said, David Martin. I said, I'm one of the newer breed on the block, uh, one of the new kids on the block. And he said to me, well, uh, he said, I don't know you, David. He said, but you must have done something right for you to have been invited to be here. He said, and if I can give you any words of wisdom, it's this. He said, stick with what you know best. Do what you know best. Don't allow yourself to be influenced by other styles and other people and all the rest of it. He said, you just stick to what you do best. He said, and your style will come into fashion, go out of fashion and come back again. He said, but that, I think, is the best advice I can give you. I've always kind of remembered those words, and there's a lot to be said for it, too. Thank you very much for sharing that story. That was incredibly interesting. I can't imagine what it was like to meet him. It was just, it was one of those enjoyable moments in your life because he was a very cute, smart, perceptive man and also had a lovely sort of style of fun about him. I think that's the thing about songwriters, you know, we're all a bit crazy, to be honest, and we all <laughs> we all see life in a funny way and we all have fun and pull each other's leg. And But when we get down to it, we do the business. But, but unless you've got a sense of humor, I don't think you can be a songwriter, to be honest. The album. Is there a favorite track on the album? Obviously, I'm going to push mine to one side because, like I say, I'm very proud of it. But if I had a favorite track of all the other tracks, I'd have to say it was We Small Hours of the Morning. I just adore the song. I can't imagine being able to improve on the vocal that I've done because, you know, we singers always think we can do better. But I can't listen to all the album a few times and that track for me stands out. I'm really, really proud of it. Love the song. I love the track. That is the one that also caught my ear. Oh. That one. Oh. You, you did that one very well. Oh, thank you, Paul. Thank you very much. On that note, what vocalists have influenced you the most? Well, I'd have to give you different branches of music for that. First of all, in the genre apropos the album, I'd have to say Nat King Cole probably rates as my all-time favorite singer of all time. I just, when I first heard him as a young young lad walking through a store in London, I, think I couldn't have been more than about 10 or 12, and I was walking, I think, with my mother through a store, and suddenly this voice came out through the store speakers and I remember being rooted to the spot and thinking to myself, is this a human being? It's so utterly beautiful and perfect, I couldn't believe it. So Nat King Cole is just, for me, a most wonderful singer. But I love Sinatra. I love Tony Bennett. I love Michael Bublé, who I think does a fantastic job these days. Great singer. Obviously, I love Barry Manilow, but Barry's not in the same, he's not in that genre. And from the rock side, you know, I was crazy about Elvis. I think Elvis is, is one of my favorite singers of all time. But funny enough, going back to, again, to my early days of listening to records and stuff, there was an American singer called Guy Mitchell who had lots of hits. And I used to really love Guy Mitchell. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys remember him, but I do. He was really good. When someone listens to this album, yes. 
What do you want the listener to get out of the experience? That's a really wonderful question, Paul. Thank you for asking it. I am very impressed when I listen to albums by Ella Fitzgerald, by Sinatra, by Nat King Cole, by various singers of that ilk, Al Jolson, going back even further, if you like. They all have, even though they may be singing songs that they've all recorded, perhaps similar songs or the same song, they all have a uniqueness about them in their own voice and their own delivery. And something about it which grips the listener and makes the listener say, wow, I love this voice. I want to go out and buy it. And that's what I've tried to accomplish in making this album, to have my own unique sound which the people around me have called Silky Smooth, which is very flattering, but nevertheless, my own unique sound so that anybody listening to anything I sing makes them feel they want to go out and buy that record. I think hopefully that answers your question. Indeed. What is the best thing about being David Martin? The best thing about being David Martin is that he's got five wonderful children who he loves to pieces, and thank God they love me. I've had a wonderful life. I'm still having a very happy life. I have great friends, great family, and, you know, all of that is the most important thing. And all the rest is is wonderful, and if I can give people pleasure along the way, then that gives me, makes me uh, happy with my life, and that to me is the best thing about being me. I have a very strong feeling that there will be people listening to this interview, not just here in the States, but from different places in the world. What would you like to say to the people who are listening to this? That I hope that all of you are in good spirits and in a good place, that you're happy in your lives with all your friends and family, that you are good to one another, do the very best you can. If you can do a good deed every once in a while, that's fantastic. But in, at the end of the day, I think the most important thing is to be happy with yourself. And if you can achieve what you set out to achieve, then congratulations to you. But the most important thing you have to do in life is just try your best. And if you try your best, then you can never say that you did anything but the right thing. Well, my last question. Who is David Martin? Who is David Martin? Yes, sir. David Martin is a young guy in the UK who wanted to achieve certain dreams. He achieved many, many of them. And is a guy who is probably like Mr. Joe, Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Brown who live next door, because I'm, I'm kind of like the guy next door. But I, you know, happily I'm able to entertain people, and that makes me happy. And also, David Martin is a guy who continually has ambitions to continue to do things that will become successful and hopefully give people pleasure. And I think that's a very important thing to carry on in your life and always want to do something better and achieve something rather than decide that you've reached a point in your life where you've done as much as you need to do and then kind of switch off and don't continue. So I think that kind of sums me up. I will always have a little project on the drawing board, and I will always want to give people pleasure by achieving it. Very well put. May I make a confession? Please. <laughs> I very much respect and admire songwriters, and it's always a very big pleasure for me when I speak to people who compose and write the songs. When you whistled the little beginning part of Can't Smile Without You, Yes. The hair on my arms stuck up. <laughs> <laughs> it really did. And I grew up in part in the Philippines. And my mother sang that song. Uh. And 
played that song. I'm not kidding you. I probably have heard that song a thousand times in my life. And to speak uh, to you is a very big honor. <clears throat> so I congratulate you on your album. And much like you thanked Sammy Khan, I just thank all the songwriters for writing something positive that makes people smile. Because I also, if I could say one more thing, I have witnessed people cry, mothers and daughters, mothers and sons, when that song is being sung. And that's, that's very special. That's so lovely, Paul. And thank you for saying that. I, I think in one of Barry's books, he, he mentions in a chapter that there was a lady who was, I'm not sure what the illness is called. I think it's agoraphobia, but there was a lady who suffered from not being able to leave her home. Is that called agoraphobia when somebody leaves their home? I believe so, agoraphobia, yes. But she had, she just loved Can't Smile Without You, and he was coming close to her town to perform, and she left her home to go to the show so she could hear him sing the song. Now that, when I read that in the chapter, that made me feel quite, quite eerie, to be <laughs> honest. Anyway, why don't I do this? If we're at the end of the, at the interview, I should go, Polly, my dear, I'm glad to be here. Doing your show, we all think of you as cream of the crop, the man at the top, and we're glad to know, cause you know we can't smile without you. How's that? I am smiling as big as I have ever smiled. (laughs) (laughs) That was special. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaulleslie.com. That's thepaulleslie.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, the entertainer. Written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano. The traditional song, Corina, Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.